Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. I know I say that every week, but usually it's not, you know, it's not that I don't mean it, but it's one of those things where you say to someone, how are you? And you expect them to say something like, fine, grand, all right, you know, and not the sort of, oh, well, the old hips are really, really hurting me at the moment and the fuck work is shit and home life is pretty awful as well and, you know. The gout. Oh, the gout. Jesus, it's oh, it's killing me. The, you don't. You don't expect that sort of stuff. So it's sort of like, how are you? I hope you're well. I hope you're well because I always hope you're all well. But right now, I really hope that everybody listening and uh, all your friends and family and uh, loved ones and all that are well and healthy and staying healthy. It's a, it's a strange time. It really is. There's no escaping that. It's a very weird and surreal period of existence we are going through right now. And I know for many people, it's probably a lot more disruptive because... You have to, you know, if you go to work every day, you work in the office and now you have to work from home, that's a big change. Or if you've got, you know, young kids that are going to school that are now not going to school, that's a big change for me because I do most of my work from home anyway. My routine hasn't really changed a great deal, apart from the fact that there is there's no arsenal to write about. So you get up every morning, and uh, this week I've been writing about my life and times on the radio as a much younger man. So if you feel like reading that and you haven't already, just head over to arsblog.com. But there's no, there's no getting away from the fact things are strange. I went into the off-license this evening, and they're not taking cash. No cash whatsoever. All transactions have to be done by card. Um, little small things like that of course pubs and restaurants and all those things being closed here uh, makes it very strange and it's been an, an odd week on a personal level as well because on Sunday uh, my dad went into hospital he's 83 years of age and he was taken into hospital and they discovered that he had a temperature and that's obviously one of the the indicators of the coronavirus and they tested him for it and 48 hours later we got the results of the test and Thankfully, uh, he was negative for that, and he's back home. He was back home tonight, Thursday, in his in his own house, and uh, he's sitting by the fire and hopefully having a good snooze there. But it was strange this week because the hospitals are closed 
you cannot visit anybody in the hospital. So if you want to um, bring something up, they have a bag drop and you, you know, they give you a number and they take the bag up to the patient and what have you. And look, it's difficult when you've got a parent or somebody in hospital that you can't visit. You know, we could speak to him by phone, but, you know, as men of his generation often are, he's not that great on the phone uh, as a general rule. But, you know, I was thinking of people who have very sick relatives, whether it's children or parents or aunts or uncles, brothers, sisters in the hospitals that they can't get to visit them. And you can understand why the hospitals are closed down because it makes sure that, you know, nobody coming or it minimizes anyway, the risk of the coronavirus getting into the hospital. And, you know, it's common sense and what have you. But you then think of the staff and all the people that are there manning the wards and manning all the various areas of the hospital to keep it going, to look after all the the people who are sick and unwell and need treatment and round-the-clock treatment, doctors, nurses, all the uh, all the various staff that are in the hospital who, who keep it ticking over. It's like, you know, if you spend any time in a hospital, you realize it's kind of its own living, breathing thing. They're terrible awful places to be in, whether you're a patient or a visitor. And I'm sure they're not the most pleasant places uh, in the world to work either. But everybody who does um, makes such a huge commitment to the community. And when you think about what's coming down the line for them and what they're probably going to have to deal with uh, here, uh, all you can do is is doff your cap to them and um, thank them uh, from the bottom of your heart for the work that they do, which is so valuable. And at this time when we're all um, being asked to sacrifice a little bit by staying indoors, by not going out in groups, by not congregating, by not uh, doing things which really don't cost us that much, do think of the people who have to go to work in hospitals every day, whether they're doctors or nurses or surgeons or cleaning staff or catering or pastoral staff, whatever they might be, they're on the front line and they're putting themselves at risk for the benefit of all of us uh, should something happen to us. So uh, please do think about that. And uh, thank you to all the doctors and nurses in Tala Hospital this week who are, who are so great. Right. Um, One of the things that I did say we were going to do is keep the podcasts going, even though there's not a great deal of football or Arsenal to talk about. But there's bits and pieces. And, you know, we're going to try and uh, try and do a few different things uh, over the coming weeks. Um, I know lots of people have had suggestions, but we'll try and do different kinds of interviews, maybe, and, and maybe look back at some history and maybe look forward at some futures and maybe think about some things that might have happened, had other things happened. I, I don't quite know. But this evening, I'm delighted to welcome back to the podcast somebody who we've had on before, friend of the show, also the co-host of uh, an excellent podcast called Stadio. It's Musa Okwanga. Hi, Musa. How are you doing, Andy? You're right. I'm all right. How are you? Uh, keeping fit and healthy, I hope. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I actually went for my second run in two days, uh, which makes it my second run in several months. So, yeah, um, trying to get in shape these days, uh, eating well, sleeping well. I mean, the thing is, being a writer, you're kind of self-isolating anyway, so <laughs> it doesn't change that much on a daily basis. That's true. I just yeah. I literally just said that in the intro to this bit, that so because I work at home, my routine hasn't really changed. It's not that you don't notice the things that are going on, but from a day-to-day yeah. basis, you know, you, you know, the, much of it is the same in terms of how you work and, and what have you. How, how is it? You're in Berlin, so how is... 
how is it in Berlin? How are people feeling about what's going on and the advice they're getting and and you know the what measures have been put in place there? Um, yeah, well, that's the thing. In Berlin, there's no sort of lockdown, so mm. a lot of people outside my kind of bubble are still going about their lives exactly as normal, which is, I think, a real problem. Um, I'm really proud of my football team. Shout out to the unicorns. Um, one of our members, uh, Alessio, has got relatives um, back in Italy, and also our uh, vice captain, Michele, has got relatives I think, in Florence too. So mm. they are really emphasising the need to stay at home. And we've all taken a lead from them. Um, so most of us have basically been confined to our houses uh, and flats for the last week, two weeks, really. Yeah. Well, you know, when you look at what's going on there and when you look at what's happening, at, well, certainly here in Ireland, we're on not lockdown per se, but certainly most things are closed. Are bars and restaurants and stuff still open there? Uh, restaurants are still open, but you can only sit one and a half metres apart if you're mm. in a restaurant. Uh, a lot of the bars are shut. A lot of the local businesses have closed down um, mm. for a short time. I mean, fr- I've got friends who, you know, there's a, one of my favourite places on the corner, shout out to Cupcake Berlin. They've had to shut down for a time being. And the problem is a lot of these businesses can't afford to go, as you know, too long without an income stream. And like really well-run businesses cannot afford to be closed for mm. a couple of months. They really can't. Like if you've got multiple staff, then it's a real struggle. So yeah. Yeah, grim times. It is. It's going to be very difficult for everybody and, uh, you know, particularly in things like hospitality and, and what have you, where margins are are so tight anyway, you're sort of going from one week to the next to cover your overheads to pay your bills and, and everything yeah. else. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just the, the unprecedented nature of this thing means that there are probably going to have to be unprecedented measures put in place to help businesses and to help the economies. And I hope uh, I hope that governments uh, do that because, you know, we all need these places at the end of the day. We need the coffee shops. We need the shops to go and buy the things you don't need day-to-day, bric-a-brac and restaurants and all those things. You know, we need them as a society. So, you know, to have so many businesses fail would be uh, catastrophic on top of the, the health you know, I really issues. Hope, I really hope that people unionize. I really hope that all these supposedly unimportant workers actually i mean because the moment doing wrong everyone's running for cover everyone's trying to look after their cash flow don't get me wrong i'm not even like judging anyone that's doing that i understand it i hope that a bunch of people somehow find the energy to unionize in the midst of all this and demand a better deal mm. well, from you, the government well, sure. because this feels like an ideal moment to actually have some leverage and be like look we are the bulk of your economy um, respect us exactly you know the, the, as you said the so-called unimportant workers or or you know what have you hang on a second they are extremely important you know yeah. to, to to the Look. way that this economy yeah. functions and to sort of to sort of um uh, facilitate the oh, i don't want to say luxury that's not quite the right word but the sort of the the easy access we have to all the things that we want 24 hours a day people have Absolutely. got to work to do that and i yeah. i think you're right to to say that you know they maybe it takes something like this for people to realize just how important they are even if they're viewed as some somehow menial which of course is completely incorrect let me throw an idea out there yeah a lawyer basically let's say a labor lawyer who basically a lot of lawyers actually are being sent home or like are twiddling their thumbs at the moment. Mm. Um, a lawyer basically assembles a class action lawsuit when the government tries to strong arm this invisible group, this invisible mass of workers who've been undervalued for years. If a lawyer can, ba- if a bunch of lawyers can basically 
coordinate with them and say, look, we'll represent you like no when no fee basis. Mm. And we'll represent you against the government. So if you get bankrupted, we're going to stand your corner. And we use that leverage and we say, basically, if you don't respect us, we're going to bankrupt you. We're going to give you a bill you can't even imagine if there's some room. Because we all know any job we've been given, whether it's voiceover work, whether it's me doing uh, speech writing or whatever, the best um, negotiation comes when you've got the greatest leverage. Sure. And I think right now these workers have got astonishing amounts of leverage. I think they really, really do. Mm. And probably... Uh, historic uh, historic leverage yeah sure sure but also a kind of understanding and goodwill that maybe wouldn't have been there in the past if they tried to do something like that that we we can all see uh, how well, exactly. crucial look, they are you look 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 at how many times workers have tried to strike right mm. for better rights and people have gone oh no i can't get to work on time because people are striking like and people have basically been striking for 2 days and people have thrown their hands in the air people in really high paid jobs even by comparison have been like, how dare they strike? I've got to get to work. I'm half an hour late for my meeting. And now those same people are like, oh, well, what can we really say to that? Because we have to listen, mm. right? And now those workers are saying the arguments are just as valid. The only difference is that now we actually have, you know, you have the time to sit back and listen and be like, oh, these, these people have a point. Mm. You know, because it's really brutal when the economy comes for people like you weren't expecting it to come for them. Yeah, well, look, I mean, it is is going to be a great leveller in many ways, and I don't mean that in a good way, because nobody is immune to the virus, and very few people are immune yeah. to the to the, the impacts costs, of the virus yeah. or the economic costs, of course, and it's going to be something that, you know, we, I think we can all see right now that it is going to be a, a thing that we all have to deal with, and as a yeah. as a society, as, as various communities, we're all going to have to deal with this somewhere down the line. I'm not quite sure where yet. Um, in the headspace where we we can get our heads around exactly how bad it's going to be if yeah. it continues for a long time because it's going to impact a, a great a great many people and I think it's going to it's going to require a need the the sort of uh, sort of coming together that we I don't know that we've had in recent times or in recent generations where it's an effort for everybody to get everything back on track you know for the for the good of everyone we have to not not sort of think selfishly and the the sort of toilet roll buying mindset has got to go by the wayside yeah and I've got to like say as well to shout out to a friend of mine um I won't name his I won't name him out of respect for his privacy but he and his partner have basically been offered, a, you know, she's been offered an amazing job, other side of the world, dream job. And everything's been arranged for it, accommodation, flights, everything. They've had all the medical tests done. And they now may not be able to move, having packed everything up and got ready. It's so hard to, like, mm. you know, disengage here and find everything. And now they probably can't go. And just a horrifying limbo. And that's only one small example of the actual human cost of all of this. And this is why we've got to find a new settlement, Andrew. We've got to find a way forward. Because how do you explain, for example, to children, oh, mummy and dad, they did everything right. They never missed any work. They put all the effort in. And they've been completely screwed through no fault of their own, mm. right? Through no fault. And it's not like a volcano came and you know, destroyed all the property. So there's actually nowhere to live, right? It's not because of that. It's because of some unseen economic, some unseen, you know, viral force came and destroyed their livelihood. And that that's not right. We need to create a society that's more compassionate, mm. that takes care of people in these spaces and times. It's just not right. No. Anyway, sorry to no. get my soapbox. But, hey, yeah. listen, 
you know, there's no problem with that. And I think it's uh, it's one of the aspects of this thing that we're all going to have to deal with uh, a little bit down the line. But look, in the meantime, I hope you uh, are staying safe and well and everybody listening to this yeah, is I'm likewise. Yeah, I'm great, thanks. I'm really great. I'm good. I, and I, this, this thing, actually, Andrew, like, I'm kind of taking my time to write as much as I can. Mm. And I'm trying to um, be as productive as I can because I'm in the privileged position of being at home I haven't got a huge amount of money coming in, but I've got money coming here and there. You know, I'm a writer, writers, unless you're JK Rowling, you're not pulling in you know, <laughs> astronomical sums. So I, I, I'm doing fine. Because I'm doing fine, I feel it's my responsibility to keep speaking out about this stuff on behalf of people who are just absolutely up to their necks. Mm, for sure. Uh, I don't think there's anything... Uh, I was going to say, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. That's the, entirely the wrong way to put it. I think there's something very admirable uh, about doing that because uh, sometimes speaking out uh, can be costly. I just think at this moment, um, people are receptive to the idea that, that everybody is in this together, that we, we're all going to get... Um, we're all going to get blindsided by this a little bit. But look, let's talk yeah. a little bit about football. football. Let's yeah, talk yeah, a little bit, even though there yeah. is no football. And it was yeah. announced today that there's going to be no football until April the 30th. It always felt yeah. a bit, didn't it? Like the, the Premier League's uh, decision to put the league on hold until April the 4th was yeah. uh, <laughs> wildly, wildly optimistic. And here we are just a few days after that initial announcement and they've pushed it out basically a whole month. I mean, I, I have to say, I hope that football begins again on April the 30th, not for the selfish reasons that, A, I want to see football again, uh, B, it will make my life an awful lot easier because I'll have some football to write about and football to talk about, but it will mean, in general, that things are better. If football can begin again, it will mean that, you know, we've got a, a hold on this thing and, and life can begin to get back to something approaching normal. Um but I, I'm, I still feel like that, that date could be optimistic. I think it's wildly optimistic, Andrew. Um, it is. And I think, I think, I think they're panicking, um, a lot of people in football, because they've got these huge obligations, don't they? Um, mm. They've got these legal obligations. They've got obligations to sponsors. Lawyers right now are obviously pouring over um, cancellation clauses, the wording of clauses they never thought they'd have to use. You know, contracts that would have been written years and years ago without any thought to these consequences, are now absolutely vital. And, you know, the, the domino effect of all that lost revenue is going to really hurt clubs. How many clubs lower down the pyramid can afford to miss, you know, mm. that many months of, of games? I mean, I remember that stat a few years ago about how um, a very small percentage of Europe's clubs were responsible for over 50% of the debt. Uh, and, you know, Premier League clubs and, and well, clubs in the... In the in English football, have had their debt problems, as we know. So I'm not sure how sustainable a lockout is for a lot of these clubs. Does that make sense? Yeah, it like, does. I mean, that's... In, what, uh, yeah, yeah, really frightening. Yeah, I mean, it's why the idea of playing games behind closed doors was like, well, I mean, that's good for people sitting at home. It's good for the broadcasters because, they, because they've got something to show on their channels. But, like, it's really not good for the clubs because, you know, whether you're a rich club like Manchester United or Arsenal or a small club like Barnet or whatever, your, your match day revenue is still massively, massively important to you. Yes, so, absolutely. you know, for that to be taken away, uh, you know, just didn't make any sense. But I do think that we are looking at 
I mean, I, I feel like football as we have known it until now is over. Like, I think the the football calendar, first and foremost, is uh, inescapably going to change because of what's happened. So even if they do start on April 30th again, you know, do they start next season in August? I mean, it feels like we could be changing the way football is played and when football is played as and when it gets going again. I think we're in denial. I think we're in denial. I think we're like one of those couples. I think <laughs> I think like one of these couples that's trying to have a baby to save the relationship, but it's gone. That's how football feels. Do you know what I mean? Like it feels like we're trying to get back to a place of normality that doesn't exist. So what 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 are we in denial about exactly? We're in denial about how soon we can start this again. Right. Uh, this season. And we're also in denial about the structure of football because it so plainly cannot serve the average club. And we've mm. said this for so long, right? We've said this for so long. And the pandemic has come along and it said, your way of running football is not sustainable. There isn't a kind of equivalent of universal basic, there isn't the equivalent, sorry, of a sort of universal basic income for football clubs lower down the pyramid, right? Mm. Because at the end of the day, all these clubs for years have been feeding up. They've been supporting bigger clubs who've been disregarding the importance of stuff like the FA Cup, for example, who haven't been distributing TV rights as well as they could have been. They've been breaking away from the pyramid at every available opportunity. And right now, all the things those lower clubs have been complaining about, quite rightly, have come back to screw them. Does that make sense? Like all those yeah. inequalities have been complained about successfully over years. Distribution of revenues and all the rest of it. They've come back to screw those smaller clubs. That is not right. And so that is the end of football as we know it in the sense that the conversations that small clubs have been having for years have now become uniquely vivid and valid. Do, I mean, do you think the fact that money was... Um, I mean, look we've all grown up in an era where we can understand the value of money and why money is important and why as a football club, for example, you might say that the Premier League is the, the what do you call it, the, the golden land or whatever the fuck the phrase is, I can't remember. Um, you know, that is the aspiration. You get to the Premier League, you make those big bucks and, and you can take your club to a new level. It's it sort of felt like, the financial aspect of of sport has overtaken the sporting element of it. So it's not about getting as high as you can to win as much as you can. It's getting to a point where you can earn so much money you just don't know what the fuck to do with it. It's more money than you could ever think of. Um, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you look at the financial markets, right? You look at the um, – in the old days when you bought a house, you bought a house – to basically live in it, right? Mm. And then there came a point where you didn't buy a house to live in it, you bought a house to speculate in the market with it, right? You bought a house to like get another one and then basically flip that and become wealthy. Mm. And on a, bigger, on a bigger scale, within a short space of time, in a couple of decades, it went from home ownership to gambling, the value of houses that eventually crashed the financial market. And the same thing's happened to football. Before you had a club and it was a kind of social event and it was a community thing. And then as clubs got bigger and bigger, they became corporations and franchises and they increasingly had contempt for the original thing they were meant to be in the same way that a mortgage like having a home eventually became a thing like the, the concept of a house now mm. 
has a sense of contempt for the original thing that it was. How many people can afford a house now compared to generations ago, right? So the original, so the same with football clubs. Football clubs have gone so far in many ways, not all clubs, but a lot of clubs have gone so far from the original thing they were envisaged as. And the arrival of this pandemic has kind of slapped us around the face with that reality, I think. Mm. The the phrase I was looking for earlier was promised land. It it just occurred to me. So yeah, the Premier League was the promised land. So yeah, I mean, I I think you're right. And look, it it, it maybe has to take something seismic for for things to change. Um, Mm. I mean, we saw reports this week that Euro 2020 was being moved to Euro 21. And in The Athletic, David Ornstein reported that, that UEFA was looking for 275 million, 300 million compensation from clubs and leagues for the move. And it, I was looking at it going, how... That's grotesque. How on earth? How dare you? Well, yeah, yeah. But like, on, on what basis is there to demand money from football clubs and to demand money from football leagues for something which is just out of anybody's hands. It's not as if the leagues have done something themselves which has meant this tournament has got to move. And again, look, we know what the financial reality of uh, European championships is for UEFA, the same with the World Cup for FIFA. These are massive money-generating events uh, which are fundamental to the existence of these organizations. Uh, UEFA needs to be careful, though. Yeah. Because UEFA, UEFA is negotiating on the basis of the current reality. It's not negotiating against the future. Exactly. UEFA, UEFA is negotiating on the basis that people think they're always going to need football. Here's the thing. Let's go four to six months, right, without football. People go about their lives normally. They hang out in their communities. They have barbecues in limited, you know, in limited groups because we can't have uh, meetings in big groups. And people start deciding, actually, do you know what? We, we don't like our club being all that big anymore. We don't like what PSG has become buying a footballer for 230 million euros and whatever. We don't like that. We want to get back to small, humble ways. We want to get back to playing against local clubs or having away breaks with teams that are equally low divisions. We don't want to be interested in UEFA. Mm. What happens when clubs, remember how UEFA behave? Let's see if it does get its money, right? But it lose, in, in the process of getting its um, victory, it doesn't realise what it's lost, right? Mm. It doesn't matter if it's lost. So UEFA gets its money in the short term, but a lot of clubs go, actually, we're not going to play in these tournaments. We're not going to play in your Europa League where we get knocked out after one round and have to travel around the around Europe just to get beaten in one round. We're going to stay at home and play in local leagues mm. against um, teams from the next-door country and form our own little enterprises. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I think that's... that's uh potentially a possibility my fear would be that that with something like this if you if you wait for pushed it too far right. what, what you might find is that the might of the big clubs who are owned by people who well on paper for now are still very wealthy who knows where they'll be in a, in a little while but it might be the thing that precipitates the 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 breakaway from uefa the super league the 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 global football spectacle that we, you know, all think of and hate, but because of what's happened, it might well bring something like that about. You know, I, 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 I see both sides of this to be honest, because I do think, you know, there is a, 
a community element to football, a community element to uh, to supporting a football club. And, you know, it seems maybe counterintuitive to say it, you know, in this global world that we live in, mm. every big club has got fans all around the world. And it's a wonderful thing uh, to see those fans support their club from far and wide. I think that ultimately will be the driver for for what happens next because that global audience those global fans can't be ignored and the people i think who will look at this as an opportunity maybe who have vested interests in maybe moving away from uefa from fifa etc etc will see this as the way that they can put in place something which beforehand would have felt like unthinkable yes well this is exactly andrew and what I have to say as well is, if you look at the composition of the boards of directors of football clubs, this is an opportunity in a moment for that to be diversified. I don't necessarily have faith that it will, but if you had people on the boards of these clubs who represented perhaps more the experience of the average fan, right? Mm. Or like, let's say, kind of, let's say these clubs set up steering committees, right? Let's say all these clubs were like, listen, we need a, like a better steering committee to look at the club's direction. You look at Germany, and not, Germany's not perfect by any means, don't get me wrong. But we do have this 50 plus one rule where you have ownership by fans of clubs, majority ownership, yeah. right? I'm not saying that's going to happen in lots of those other countries, but I'm saying this is an opportunity for clubs to set up these steering committees and really listen to their kind of, their fan bases and say, how do we move forward together? Because the really smart people at football clubs, and I include clubs like Borussia Mönchengladbach, who just today have announced that their players are going to help pay the salaries of some of the kind of like uh, match day staff towards the end of the season. The enlightened clubs understand this bond. Mm. They understand that the community element of football has to be vital and central to any future negotiation about where football goes. So that's the key to me. Mm. I mean, that's the thing. It's yeah. uh, what's happened over the last while is there's never been any real consultation with fans to find right. out what fans want. What there has been is there have been consultations with broadcasters, with marketeers, with rich people, with, you know, focus groups who decide what is the best way to make money from football rather than what's the best thing for football or what's the best way to make football as good as it can be, you know? So, right. can, I draw, can I draw a comparison, actually? Sure. Look at the church, right? There was a time when the church would have a bursting congregation, right? And people lost faith for lots of different reasons. And now a lot of these churches that used to be full are empty. And what could happen to football, and it sounds really dramatic to say this, but the church had a succession of sharp shocks and scandals. And after a certain point, after taking their congregations for granted, people drifted away and they didn't come back. And that is what football has to contend with because for a long time it has not consulted its congregation. And that sounds really dramatic, right? But I was talking to a friend today who's like a massive football fan and he was saying, do you know what, it's really weird. Like for the first couple of weeks my team didn't play. I was like, oh my goodness, will we stay up? Will we not get relegated? And he said, it's really weird because, and this is a guy who's like a passionate season ticket holder, like match going fan. He said, actually, I'm kind of, I'm kind of okay without it. And I never thought I'd say that. Mm. And that's the conversation, that's the unseen conversation that football clubs have to be very wary of. I think, you know, the other part of it is the, the the slightly shocking element of how something like this can um, develop and change your perspective on what is important and what's, yes. you yeah. know, because we're talking about people's 
livelihoods. We're talking about their ability to pay their rent, their mortgage, their bills, or uh, look after their kids, look after their parents, you know, uh, their health, of course, you know, uh, as the bottom line of this thing, you know, are, are you going to get sick? Are you going to, you know, be well? Are you going to survive if you get sick? Or are there people in your family who, if they do get um, uh, unwell, are they going to, are they going to be able to cope with this? And so you have this, this immediate, you know, where you go like, well, the worst thing in the world is the fact that Mustafi is being picked week after week for Arsenal. That is the worst thing I can yeah. think of. And all of a sudden it's like, actually, <laughs> you know, maybe it's not, maybe it's not as much as we all love football. I mean, clearly it is from an Arsenal's perspective, but no, I'm joking, but you know, it does yeah, realign. Yeah, yeah. It does sort of change your mind um, in terms of how you view things and and how important they are in the grand scheme of things, because your neighbor or your your friend or your family losing their home or losing their business to you know unscrupulous landlords or whatever it might be, that that's that's going to affect you far far more, I think. Yeah, exactly, and that's the problem that that conversation that football is going to have to say, look, we are still relevant. Um, because you're going to have this kind of island of paradise, right? And the football's always been, you know, especially the highest level, it's always been a kind of a bit of an oasis, right? Of like, you know, of great wealth at the very highest level. And that was fine when everyone else was doing their thing and like living well. Mm. But now, not, not living well, I don't mean that, but like, you know, paying their bills. Day -to -day. I know what you mean. Yeah, but, yeah. But, but now that people within the next four to six months will be jobless, like you're going to have a huge, the job market is going, well, is going to see like a huge exodus in the next few months, right? Mm. And how is football going to deal with that new reality? It's like driving, you know, it's like driving your Bentley through um, like a really poor neighborhood, playing the loudest music you can, driving the car as slow as you can. That's going to be the equivalent of how it's going to look now. Mm. And that's always been that element with football, don't get me wrong. But now, I was talking to a friend about this today on the phone. I said, all the stuff that like seemed escapist and cute is now going to be really jarring. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, a lot of yeah. the conspicuous excess is going to be really jarring because it's going to be like, it's one thing to earn your money. And most people actually, I think actually, funny enough, I think footballers, um, you know, they get a fairly um, good ride beyond the kind of media, like, um, exposés and whatever. I think actually the average fan, if you think about it, considering the disparity in wealth and income, people are pretty cool. They're like, you know what, actually working class kid done well. And that's cool, to be honest. I don't really, I don't think people are going to hate on that or the individuals. Mm. I think it's going to be more the systemic issue. I think it's going to be more the kind of like the cost of the match day ticket. So the backlash won't really come against the fan. It's going to come against, wait a minute, why are we paying 110 euros for this? Yeah. Like, does that make sense? Yeah. Like this is going to be a real disaster for people that think that these tickets are worth it. Like to charge that money with a straight face, it's always been a bit of a joke, but to do that now, Hey, come on, man, come on. Yeah, Jesus. I didn't even think of that, to Dude, be honest. trust me. No, no, no. I mean, now that you've said that's it, it makes... Now that you've said Dude. it, it makes so much sense, you know. That's the conversation that's going to come. Yeah. Because, again, football clubs have put themselves in positions where they are reliant on that kind of that kind loyalty. of income. Yeah, uh, yeah loyalty yeah. and that, that, that sort of captive audience. And we all know fans are, um, you know... We all want to watch our, our teams and, uh, yeah, but I never thought about it from that point of view as well. It's like, what is the financial reality of the world 
that we're in when this thing is over, how yeah. is that going to impact football? Because people's savings have been absolutely nuked yeah. for months on end, right? It'll be the equivalent, the psychological Those people that have savings, you know, who are lucky yes, enough to have some. Absolutely. Four to six months from now, because this thing is going to last longer than people think, right? People's savings are going to be nuked. At the end of all that, football is going to come with a shiny new season, same ticket prices, and people are going to be like, wait a minute, I'm traveling. I'm doing like a round trip, cost me 400 quid, all told, mm. for, thi- for this. Yeah. When I've, and like, you know, when you force me, the world has forced me for the last four to six months to look at every single outgoing amount. I've been going without food. Well, people are already doing that, to be honest. I've been going without food so my kids can eat on a regular monthly basis. And I never thought I'd be in this position. Some people have been there before for years, but some are getting there now for the first mm. time. And I've been hit right in the pocket and you're not making me a concession. Wow. How much do you really care? How much do you really yeah. care for the match-going fan? If that, I've been through this for six months to a year, and I come back to your door, and you're like, actually, I don't care. Yeah, still the same price, yeah, same yeah. as it ever was. Yeah, I like, mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, look at the the. I think we have this idea, don't we? That that when this thing this is over, it's all just going to go back to normal, and it's not. It can't because changing. of yeah, it's the changing. Yeah, changed, it's absolutely. changing the world. As we speak, as we speak, a friend of mine just tweeted. Uh, she said, I've, "I've just been confined to my my room for twelve weeks. How am I going to cope?" Her room. Her room. I've got a friend who I went to see the other day who's quarantined. Mm-hmm. She's in her flat and she's there for two weeks. So I dropped off some uh, shopping for her. She can't leave her flat uh, for two weeks, and she's out and about doing all this great political stuff and activism. These are people whose entire realities have been changed. Like. Their realities rely on them stepping out the door. They have to leave the house to make money, and they cannot. I've got friends whose careers are just about to take off. Huge acting jobs, huge production jobs, huge theatre jobs, nuked overnight, mm. theatres emptied. Yeah. And these people are these 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 are your match-going fans. These are your people. These are your supporters. And you're telling them, oh oh, nothing's changed. There's no new realities. Mm. That's the equivalent of not going to church because you couldn't afford to get there for months and you go to a brand new church service and the weather's freezing cold and no one offers you a blanket or even a cup of soup. Oh, sit out there and worship us. Oh, wow. Like that. Football clubs that aren't wise to this are in a lot of trouble. Mm. Well, they've, look, got to get, they've got to get ahead of this conversation. Yeah, to be fair, we've got to wait and see how they react. And, you know, we're we're making the assumption that they're just going to try and pick up as normal and maybe, the, you know, the reality of, of the world that we yeah. live in when this is gone will inform the way that they behave, and you hope that it will. Yeah, um, but that's what, Matt, Andrew, sorry, just to jump in, that's why I'm literally saying all this, because I know that your podcast is listened to widely, and I'm saying it because I want people to think about this stuff. Mm. I don't want it to catch, I don't want things to go badly for football clubs or for those who support them. I said to a friend today, this is a time when there's a kind of vacuum right now and a look for ideas. This is a time to start the conversations or continue the conversations that should have been at the highest level for so many years before this. Mm. So yeah, that's why I'm saying all this, to be honest. So yeah, sorry to. All right, no, yeah. no. Listen, it's it's the kind of time where we need to have these conversations, and they're not necessarily easy or easy to process, but they're they're necessary and they're absolutely relevant to what's going on, and we all have to think about things in a different way than we've yeah. thought about things. Um, but look, sure, yeah. yeah, hopefully people do. Um, but uh, one of the things that I want to do. Um, 
over the coming weeks and months, I guess, um, depending how long it is before football gets going again, is to try and help people deal with uh, either being in isolation or, you know, being at home or not knowing what to do to pass their time. So what I asked you to do was to pick like a couple of books, a couple of movies and a couple of uh, music things that we could recommend. So um, I, I think we'll do one at a time and one each and we'll we'll start with books. So I'll let you go first as you're the guest. Uh, a book that you would recommend to somebody uh, who is sitting at home and is going, well, what the fuck am I going to do? So hit me with your first one. <laughs> okay, well, I was, um, this is a bit random, but I don't know this. There are a lot of people that don't like sort of sci-fi stuff, um, but I absolutely love the Christopher Priest Black Panther complete collection. It's a graphic novel. Okay. It's based on Black Panther comic books, and they're absolutely brilliant. And the reason I love comic books, and I'd recommend them, is because you can just escape into them. And I think we really need escapism right now. So I recommend that absolutely. It's brilliant. Um, the other book I'd recommend is by an amazing uh, writer, British-Nigerian writer called Irenison Okoji. Uh, and the book is called Nudibranch, N-U-D-I-B-R-A-N-C-H. And it's a book of short stories, a collection of short stories, utterly mind-bending, astonishing use of language, and quite a difficult read. But the kind of thing you can sit down with, with some like light electronic music in the background, mm. like a decent podcast in the background, and really just let your brain chew on it. I can't. And the two, yeah, sorry. Go on. No, no, I was just saying, I can't listen to, I couldn't listen to a podcast and read a book. <laughs> just well, you know, just something in the background that just kind of like yeah. mumbles along, but something really, these, these, these are two pieces of work that I think are really good for your brain to kind of just chew on and take you out of your own reality. Okay. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, the two books I'm, I'm going to recommend, one is, uh, is slightly relevant to end of, end of the world times, which, you know, clearly this isn't, but you know, it's easy to get your mind in an apocalyptic, um, uh, state if you really want to, but I am legend which I mentioned on the podcast the yes. other day wow. by Richard Matheson is an amazing book. It's it's actually quite short. It's it's almost yeah. like a, a novella. Um, yes. The movie with Will Smith, there was also The Omega Man, another movie adaptation. I think there was one called The Last Man on Earth or something as well. Um, but certainly the Will Smith movie got the ending so unbelievably wrong that yes, it, did. It, did. it just... <sighs> You, you have to go and read this book, and it should be available. I'm, I guess it's on Kindle. If not, it's in uh, it's available in your local independent bookstore who will order books for you, and they pay their taxes and they pay their workers. So use them yes. if you possibly can, right? There's That's another way. There's another way our minds need to change, I think. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Do you know, actually, here's the funny thing about the book that I am legend. Um, when you read it, you realize the true bravery of the main character. Mm. Like, when you see... The, when you see the nature of sacrifice, I mean, like, yeah, the, the, the main character in that book just goes above and beyond the call of duty. It's really amazing. Mm. Actually, this is a bit cheeky. It's opportunistic of me. I'm going to throw in a third book, actually. Go on. It's called The Party by Richard McGregor. I read it. I finished it in January. It's the first book I read this year. And it's about the China, China's Communist Party. And it's absolutely fascinating. This is a book that basically is what, I mean... 300 pages long and it reads like a kind of it's based on an incredible piece of investigative journalism and it reads like a thriller and it's basically all about the Chinese Communist Party and how this sort of group this administration basically runs the country 
And when people talk about Chinese culture, I think that's a mistake. They talk they, what they mean a lot of the time is the way the Chinese government operates. Mm. And the book is just an absolutely fascinating forensic account that couldn't be more timely um, of the way that China's run. So yeah, I'd recommend that. Okay. Really recommend that. Cool. Yeah. I've got that written down here. My second book is uh, one of the, again, one of the first books I read this year and I absolutely loved it. Um, it's called The Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead. Oh, wow. I've heard about that. That sounds amazing. It is, yeah. it is a fantastic, fantastic story. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to give any spoilers away. It's about uh, a juvenile prison-type thing somewhere in Florida. This young man gets sent there and how it impacts his life. And, whoa. Hello. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Yeah, yeah, I can hear you well. There you go. No, just uh, we got the passing police car there. Uh, oh, yeah, that's the Berlin for you. Or, uh, or the uh, ambulance. Berlin that's choir. That's big cities uh, uh. everywhere. Don't worry about it. So, yeah, the uh, Nickel uh. Boys Colson Whitehead. Fantastic book. Um, let's do let's do music. Yes. Here we go. Wow. Okay. So, Little Sims, Grey Area. Okay. That's an extraordinary album, which just has the entire range um of uh, moods, of content, um, lyrical ability, flow. I mean, Little Sims, one of the top 10. I mean, it's not about, yeah, actually, why not? I easily argue like top 10 rapper in the world today. Mm. Okay. Um, and an extraordinary record, the kind of record that transcends its genre. So people that don't even listen to much hip hop, I think would absolutely love it. Like fans of music would love it, I mm. think. Um, and the second album within the same tradition Kano, Hoodies All Summer. I've been talking about this record for a very long time. I think it's one of the best albums of the last few years in any genre. One of the best, I mean, and the same with, with Little Sims. We're in a golden age now, I think, of of, um, of UK music. Uh, yeah, Kano, Hoodies All Summer, just musically is extraordinary. In terms of the themes, it talks about colonialism, gentrification, uh, Windrush, knife crime, but not in a way that is preachy, in a way that is actually cinematic. I mean, listen to Kano's album, and Little Kim's as well, Little Sims as well. It's like listening to a kind of, um, it's like a musical equivalent of a fantastic HBO series. Mm. I can't say it better. They're both like, yeah, they're like, they're based like high class television series in the course of an album. Okay. So, yeah. Well, there you go. Little Sims is uh, uh, from Islington as well so oh wow relevant oh, relevant to us i'm yeah i'm so bad with new music now i really am so what what i've been doing is listening to a lot of old stuff and something that's quite uh chilled out and uh, just yeah. really nice in these times i gotta go back and give a shout out to the uh, two uh, zero seven albums uh the garden, oh, wow. yes. the garden and simple things with um uh sia is on it and what's the guy's name jose Fucking not Gonzalez. Jose Gonzalez, yes, Jose Gonzalez, wow. who did the that amazing uh, cover version of Heartbeats by the Knife. Um, so yeah, that's that one. And the other one is a, is a, an Arsenal fan. He makes really interesting, uh, does a lot of interesting remixes. But the sounds and the uh, the textures that he has in his music. I don't want to sound like a wanky music journalist by saying that, but they <laughs> genuinely are textures in this music uh, is a guy called Tourist um, and his, oh, his, wow. his last album Wild is is really really good you can stick it on the car stick it on while you're at home um, uh, self isolating yeah. in the kitchen doing the cooking it's perfect for that uh, so those are the, the two music things that I'm going to recommend 
phenomenal. Let's do movies. Give me a couple of movies, Musa. Okay, I think we need feel good. Um, I, so I would oh, say wow. eternal sunshine. <laughs> eternal sun- <laughs> I would say eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Right. You know that movie, right? I do, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh, listen, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, like just a gorgeous, gorgeous movie. I'm such a softie for that stuff, really. Right. Um, it's just so it's so playful. And I, I know a lot of people who listen. I'm not sure what people are, are into, really. So it's kind of a bit of a shot, a shot in the dark. But you can't go wrong with a beautifully composed rom-com. Uh, and the second movie, which is really, um, it's very uplifting, I think, as a movie, because it's incredibly brave, is Arrival, um, starring Amy Adams. Oh, yeah, and I love that film. That, that film blew me away the film basically for the first two thirds of the film i was like oh this is a very good movie and the last third i'm like oh my god this is one of the best movies i've ever seen and I, you know anyone that knows me knows that i love film i mean i i i'm obsessed with the nuances of storytelling and yeah eternal sunshine and spotless mind and arrival Two beautiful movies yeah yeah i loved arrival actually i remember coming out of the cinema watching that going like whoa Whoa. I remember it's one of those movies where you stare, you look around at the end, and you come out, and you talk to strangers in the queue as you leave, and you just say like, mm. "What have we just seen? Like, you know, have we just witnessed something extraordinary?" People looking at you like in similar shock, like emerging bewildered into the light after mm. coming out of the cinema. Yeah. Uh, the two movies I'm going to pick. Uh, one is a, a new movie, so I'm sure it's going to be out in the UK. Uh, it's certainly out in Ireland. Uh, it's called Cam with Horses. Um, it's made by a company called DMC Films, um, and i got to give a shout-out to Dan Emerson, who gave me an invite to a screening of it at the uh, Dublin Film Festival uh, last week or the week before last, anyway. Uh, the uh, company is uh, Michael Fassbender is involved as well. But it's a story set in the west of Ireland, sort of around a criminal family, and there's an astonishing performance by an actor called Cosmo Jarvis, who has name? Yeah, amazing. He has he has the most amazing Irish accent. You know, I'm sure Americans can spot a bum American accent, but there's nobody who can spot a bad accent like an Irish person when there's a non-Irish person doing the Irish accent. You know, the the they're they're very few and far between the really good ones. Um, the best one I'd heard before that was I think John Voigt in a film about. Uh, can't remember if it was called the general or whatever it was called. Um, yeah, uh, where he he was a like a, a policeman in it, and his accent was like ninety percent there. This guy, you would not know that he was uh, not from Ireland. So That's incredible. It really That's is. Incredible. It really is because like even even just the one piece of intonation will yes. tell you that that person is doing an accent, you know, and I'm sure that you can hear it when an American does an English accent. You can hear it when an English actor does an American accent. I'm sure they're Americans who, you know, uh, can spot that a mile off. But this guy was fantastic. The movie is not a hugely uplifting movie uh, or anything like that. In fact, it's quite grim, but it's it's very well acted um, and it's, uh, it's well worth a watch. So it's called Cam with Horses. And the other one I was going to pick, um, again, not the most... Uh, it's not going to lift you up in the way that your movies have, have uh, suggested. <laughs> it's called Winter's Bone. Um, the book by Daniel Woodrell uh, is amazing. Again, a sort of short novel book, if you want to pick it out. The language is incredible. It stars Jennifer Lawrence 
um, and John Hawkes, who is brilliant, uh, absolutely brilliant in it. And it's uh, it's just a really, really good movie. So there we oh, go. That sounds great, yeah. Well, look, hopefully we've given something uh, for people to listen to and to read and to watch as we get to uh, stay in our homes and stay away from people um, in real life. The great thing is, though, at least we can still connect with people, you know, virtually or technologically, be it by by voice or video or whatever that might be. Uh, and yeah. you guys, obviously, are, are you keeping your podcast going? And Yeah, we've actually gone up to two a week now. It's funny on stage. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've just been like, people really appreciate the escapism, um, and so we're gonna we're gonna give it to them. Why not? Why um, not? And it's it's really funny as well because I would say I've had more in depth conversations in the last two weeks with family and friends, including yourself, than I've had in the previous two months put together. Like it's really mm. funny. Like being confined to home has really like forced me to look at what matters and really like enjoy like my friendships, my relationships in the proper depth that they deserve. Mm. Um, so that's been really powerful. But yeah, we're still doing the study. We actually just did, um, because obviously there's no football on, we're doing more conceptual stuff. So we did a whole thing of what ifs. So the, the recent episode is basically a bunch of what ifs. So like, what if Aguero doesn't score that goal against QPR? What if Yaya Toure signs for Arsenal? We did a whole what <laughs> if on that. Yeah, we did a whole, we did a whole deep dive on that. Um, so yeah, it's just been a lot of fun, really. All right. Well, look, uh, if people want to follow the podcast, it's called Stadio. You can uh, just search for that on your favorite podcast app. It's at Stadio on Twitter. And uh, Musa, you're on Twitter at Okwanga. Uh, that's right yeah that's right I remember that listen thank you very much it's uh, it's good to have a chat stay well stay safe and look we'll we'll talk to you again soon you're an absolute star thanks so much Andrew take care and all the best uh, all the best to your listeners as well I hope they pull through in whatever form they have to thanks man quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Thank you very much indeed to Musa. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. You know, when there's no football, it's going to go in different directions. And some of those directions we're going to have to stop and think about um, before football starts again. And maybe when it starts again, it's not what we thought it was or it's not what it was before. We'll have to wait and see. Anyway, look, I just want to thank you all for being here. Thank you for listening as always. James and I will be here on Monday with an Arscast Extra. We don't know what we're going to talk about. 
Lots of stuff could happen between now and then, which might dictate the uh, the conversation. But as always, we'd be glad to have you along and take your questions on the various platforms that we take them on. Uh, from all of us here at Arsblog, please stay well, stay safe, stay healthy, stay indoors if you can. I know it's not easy, but it is ultimately a small sacrifice to make in the grand scheme of things. And we will catch you on the next one. I'm going to like finish the show today because sometimes, you know, the end bit, uh, you know, it's funny and it's a bit of whatever, but I, I'm just finding it a bit difficult this week to think of something that might just be appropriate. So let's go out with a tune from one of the albums that I recommended with Musa. This is Zero Seven and Destiny.
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.